Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a show that looks at the way technology, politics, and policy impacts the world around us, the tools we use, the way services are delivered, and how we talk about and set policy all shape our society. We'll gather around and have a chat about these things together and more. Either that, or maybe I'll rant about a topic for a while. Before we get started, I do want to let you all know that we've started a Discord for the podcast. There will be a link with an invite down in the episode description. Do feel free to go check that out. It's a small community right now, but hoping to grow it. It's a great way to reach out to me and let me know things that you might want us to cover, or to just hang out and talk about civic tech. Anyway, let's go ahead and start the show. Ariana, thank you so much for joining us here on Civic Tech Chat. Could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Hi, I'm Ariana Soto. I am the deputy director at Coding It Forward. uh, And we'll dive a bit more into what Coding It Forward is and what we do there. But I've been with the organization since 2018. Uh, Yeah, and I've been with them ever since. I guess in in my day-to-day capacity, I run... uh, our operations and plan program structure for the two internships that we run at Coding It Forward. But I've been with the team for a few years now and excited to share a bit more about what we do and what we're up to and what my day-to-day looks like. What would you say is your personal why? The thing that drives you to get out of bed each morning and do what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you're going to make me reflect a bit on this, I think. I would say, and this this applies to my work with Coding It Forward, but I think a lot of the things that I involve myself with outside of Coding It Forward, I'd say my personal why is shortly to open doors for others. I think I feel very fortunate in my own life to have had a lot of really awesome people go before me who have opened doors to so many opportunities, Coding It Forward being one of them. And so... Uh, I think especially in my work with Coding It Forward, my my why and why I love this job is that it gives me the opportunity to open doors to other people, uh, be that women. I'm Latina, so as much as I can open doors and for other Latinos and people um, like myself and just others who I recognize just haven't had as much access to this space Um I've stumbled upon this space quite uh, accidentally, which I'm sure you'll ask me about in a bit, but realizing how much people helped me get to where I am today is, I think, what I want to do for others. So really pulling people through doors and, and giving them opportunities to do things they have not yet had the opportunity to do. Speaking of walking through open doors, how did your path wind up taking you over to Coding It Forward? Yeah, how did it wind up is, is something to, to land on. I think it was very windy. And I think uh, the more that you ask people in civic tech how they got there, it's, it tends to be a trend. Is like, I stumbled upon it or I fell into it and, and now I'm here. But let's see, it's kind of a, a lengthy story, so I'll try to keep it short. I When I got to college, I wanted to study computer science, took the intro to CS class, and was quite intimidated and did not love it and decided that that wasn't really the path I wanted to walk down. The summer after my freshman year, I'm from Los Angeles. I came back home, didn't have plans to intern or do anything. I was just going to spend time with family. And my dad, shortly after my arriving back home, happened to run into 
someone in his office, I think, who he started chatting with and was like, ah, my daughter likes computers and she's interested in doing tech things. And this guy was like, oh, like, cool. I'd love to have her as like an unpaid intern for the summer if she wants to join me. And I was coming home for the summer and I was like, well, yeah, I may as well get some like job experience, I guess, and see what I like and what I don't like. So I was an unpaid intern uh, working in LA city government on the Los Angeles open data portal. I was primarily working with the police department actually and working on the data sets that they have publicly accessible in Los Angeles. And it was not a glamorous work. I was basically just like populating metadata. Like there was data up there, but no one knew how to use it. And I like quickly realized it was like, oh, like, yeah, like they, they publish this data, but like they don't have any, they don't have an unpaid intern to do this kind of work. So it was like not glamorous work, but it felt really cool. Cause like every time I pushed an upload, it was going to like a portal that people could actually access online. Uh, so did that internship and my boss happened to know the women across the street, literally at the mayor's office, uh, his data team. And they had just started their inaugural data la internship program and so my boss got me into their program so i met a lot of other young people doing data work in the city and met the wonderful women running the la mayor's data team and that was my introduction to civic tech it sounds really wild now to be like oh i didn't know people were using technology in government but like honest to god i didn't i didn't know that that was something that people were doing so i got back to campus uh, sophomore year and decided to study government with a minor in computer science now that I had kind of stumbled upon something I really enjoyed. Uh, and then a few months after getting back to campus, Coding It Forward sent an email over, a, one of the co-founders sent an email over the mailing list, some mailing list I was on at school saying, hey, we're Coding It Forward. We're looking to hire some more people. Uh, this is what we do. And I was like, hey, this is like very similar to what I was doing at the mayor's office sent them an email back, met one of the co-founders in the dining hall, uh, was very much aligned with what they were doing and very interested. And the rest is kind of history. So that's how I ended up there. It was just weird. I fell into an internship uh, and and learned that people were using technology and government and then coding it forward was doing the same thing. And I've been with them ever since. So was not intentional, but again, just meeting the right people and falling into places that led me to where I am. Um, yeah. That's the long, the long story, I guess. I think that's a good segue to get us into our, our main topic here. Funny thing with this is actually uh, folks that are longtime listeners of the program might already know that Coding and Forward is a, uh, already a friend of the podcast. We had some folks on, I think, a couple of years ago, back right. in the kind of maybe earlier days. Yeah. Uh, but for folks that are maybe kind of catching up with us now and might not be familiar with your organization, Coding and Forward, can you tell us a bit about it and its mission? Yes, perfect segue. <laughs> long story, uh, not long story short. I would say the mission of Coding It Forward is so that people don't have to have a winding path like I did. Uh, we were founded in 2017 by a group of college students who were looking to use their tech skills in government. The only thing they could find was installing Microsoft SharePoint on federal government computers as an unpaid intern. Uh, that was not what they wanted to be doing not interested in that at all. So we loosely started as kind of a jobs board group. Uh, people would share opportunities in the space with each other to use tech skills in the social good, social impact space. 
And then we were lucky enough to be introduced to someone at the U.S. Census Bureau who actually was already doing work to bring young people into the census for the summer and thus became our now kind of well-oiled machine, the Civic Digital Fellowship. But yeah, we were we were started by a group of tech students. And I think that's really awesome. I think we started uh, as young people who understood what young people were looking for and what kinds of things would excite young people and how a program could be shaped to fully support young people. And I think that that has really uh, led to, I guess, our success is just that we we understand what what people want and and how we might be able to provide that to them. So, yes, I guess in short, the goal is so that people don't have to have a winding path like like I did. Like the, there now exists an organization where like if you want to use your tech skills in government, uh, come to Coding It Forward, and and we have we have those opportunities for you. I think it's really cool that y'all that exist in that space because I think something I've noticed. Uh, whether through interviews or just kind of living in the civic tech spaces, there is definitely kind of less support on that entry step. Right. Uh, usually there's like a lot of organizations that are like, oh, you're mid-career, hop on in. Uh, so it's like really great to see an organization that's kind of focused on that. Hey, like I'm starting my career and I want that career to be in service. Right. Definitely filling filling that gap. And I'd say it's been really awesome to watch. So we were founded in 2017 and the code of code for Americas of the world, and those really big civic tech orgs that have become like really institutional piece, pieces of our our network existed. But the, you're right, there was no early career option, and it's been really awesome to just see the space explode a bit since our founding. Like, it's definitely, still a lot of room to grow and a lot of gaps to still be filled. But uh, yeah, there was nothing in the ecosystem before, and, and now there is, and that's been really awesome to see us kind of. Uh, lead that movement and that push for there to be accessibility for young people to do this work as well. And on the topic of adding things to the space, we are here today to talk a bit about a recent program, the Civic Innovation Corps. Can you describe that program and talk a bit about why it was started? Yes, definitely. Uh, Yes, another a new program popping up into the space this past summer. So the summer of 2021 was our first year running this Civic Innovation Corps program. So if you're interested in learning a bit more about the Civic Digital Fellowship, I will refer people to the podcast that you did with uh, with our one of our founders and some awesome alum uh, in years past. But that is a 10 week internship. Uh, in federal government for tech students. And so the Civic Innovation Corps is somewhat of a replica of that model, but we're bringing young people as uh, working in data, software engineering, design, and product management to state and local governments across the country. So as I kind of explained my journey to civic tech and many people on a Other people on our team also had similar journeys to civic tech or public service through state and local government. And so I think our team always wanted to dive into that space. We just didn't really have the capacity to do so. And I think when we started to have serious conversations about launching this program was right in the heart of 2020, uh, as all of us were living through this pandemic, and there was just no better time for us to launch this program. So it it came out of partially that and realizing that there was no better time to bring technologists into state and local government public service, but then also state and local government just being really near and dear to our team's heart. So yes, the Civic Innovation Corps is a 10-week summer internship program for uh, and what's really cool, actually, I will add. So, 
the federal government, we are high, we are tied to federal hiring regulations. So there are some regulations that we have to follow in terms of education and um, things and citizenship and things like that. So with the Civic Innovation Corps, it's open to undergraduate and graduate students as our federal program is, but we are also able to open it up to boot camp and certificate grads as well. And then for our federal program, we are unfortunately only able to hire U.S. citizens, uh, but with the Civic Innovation Corps, we are able to bring in non-U.S. citizens as well. So as long as people have work authorization, they can also be a part of our state and local program. So we are we placed, let's see, placed 55 Civic Innovation Corps fellows across six cities and three states this summer, and they were working at, I believe, 19 different offices across the country and so we'll keep building that program out into the coming year but yeah it's been really awesome to be able to to be now be able to place people at all levels of government because I think the civic tech movement exists at all levels of government and there's a lot of really awesome work being done uh, at the state and local level especially in the past 19 months and in responding to COVID and all of that so uh, some of our fellows were able to tap into that work and be a part of of the work um, and happy to share a little bit more about that as we, as we continue this conversation. Something you mentioned there, I think is interesting and, and unique to, to, for this program is you mentioned that you were able to open it up to boot, boot camp grads, uh, folks mm-hmm. with that sort of background, which I think is kind of rare in the space. Uh, there's not really a lot of things that would help someone who is like, I want to go to a boot camp, And then I also want to serve in government with that right. skill that I'm getting. There's maybe stuff in the private sector, but uh, basically, due to the hiring guidelines you were talking about, there's right. really not a lot of change there. And it uh, makes me think that, in a way, y'all are kind of creating something that could serve as a uh, example that could maybe help shake those sorts of assumptions that go into those types of requirements. Yeah, I think our work has always been led by the belief that like we need as many perspectives and people involved in this work. That's how we do the best work. Uh, I will add that all of our cohorts, so this last Civic Innovation cohort and the past uh, six fellowship cohorts that we've run have been majority female and majority people of color. And I think being able to open these opportunities up to boot camp and certificate grads has been really awesome for us as well because we believe that there's not like a one-size-fits-all perfect person for the role. It's really like how many different people can we bring into this space to bring their perspectives to the table? And I I think you'll see time and time again studies and, and cases in which like bringing those people to the table and having them involved in a project is just going to make your project all the more better. So yeah, it's been really awesome to be able to open up that opportunity uh, because yeah, I mean, if you want to serve, you should have an opportunity to serve and there shouldn't be a barrier for for anyone to do that. So yeah, we're looking forward to keeping those opportunities open and making them as uh, open and accessible and equitable as possible. I've gathered that you were involved with uh, the startup of this as it became a new program. Can you talk a bit about the experience of starting up a new initiative like this one in the nonprofit space? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say it helped that we had already done, I think at that point, five iterations of our federal program. So there was at least a model and a proven successful model of bringing talent into government, obviously a bit different at a a different government level, but that helped. So we weren't starting, I think, 
from building blocks like we were when we launched the federal program, which was to our benefit. But it's a challenge to figure out like what components we were operating and then the state and local level is completely different than the federal government I think we've learned uh, and so it was a matter of figuring out like how are we going to partner with these offices that we want to partner with there's a mutual interest but like where do we find the funding and like how do we legally hire these interns and place them for 10 weeks right because it's not like a full-time position it's not like you're just hiring someone for a role like we're placing them there for 10 weeks um, and so I think with anything that you're starting any new initiative like asking for help is a big thing. So like we took what we knew with the federal program and then we had a lot of really awesome people who had experience in the space, maybe not the exact experience we were looking for, but like people we could lean on to like guide us in terms of like, how do we navigate hiring interns in state and local government? And I will add that our partners who partnered with us for this first iteration of the program were also incredible. Like we could not have done it without them because they were interested and eager and willing to do this in a time where like state and local governments were strapped they didn't have as much personnel as they had before the pandemic. And they also just had so much to do. And so I'm so grateful to our partners for for being thought partners with us in, in launching this. So, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to – if you have more specific questions about, like, what it takes to, to start something up, happy to answer them. But I would just say in general, like – and this is with anything, like, ask for help. Ask, ask people who have done this before. And I mean, our team is fairly young in terms of like age. So like we also recognize that like there are people who have been at this work for many, many years. And so how can you lean on people who have already tried to go down this road so you're not reinventing the wheel or trying to do something that someone has already proven is not possible or cannot work? In, in the space of maybe more specific questions yeah. about this sort of thing, uh, I imagine a starting step or, or an early step anyways, was finding those partners mm-hmm. they were talking about. And I yeah. know that even just like the field of like trying to get a government entity to agree to do something, that's like a whole profession. There's right. like people out there that do <laughs> like government sales or even the nonprofit, like same, same idea. Could you talk a bit about how y'all went about trying to seek out those partners and, and build those relationships? Right. Yeah, I think you bring up an excellent point. And I think that's something we knew going in, but you also learn as you're going through like, oh, I could definitely just my full time job could be just dealing with uh, government partners and hiring practices. But that's a fully different conversation. Uh, How we went about sourcing partners. So our federal program and the Civic Digital Fellowship had been going on for a couple of years. And the civic tech space can be pretty small once you start to learn uh, more about it. So we had definitely had state and local offices in the years before we launched this program who were interested in bringing on the types of fellows we place in the federal government. So there was like a handful of people who had already expressed interest even when we didn't have the capacity to place people at the state and local level. So I think we started there because you're like, you've already expressed interest. You've been interested in this. Hey, we're actually finally launching into state and local government. Do you want to be involved? So that was one one group of people. And then in this first year, I think we really wanted to – so obviously our programs are for young people. We want to prioritize the experience of those young people that we're bringing in. I'd love to place a fellow in every single city and every single state across the country, but I also recognize that I don't want to throw someone – like many of our, our fellows, this is their first time ever working in government, and you don't want to throw someone into a space 
uh, that is not going to be conducive to them learning or growing in the 10 weeks that they're involved. So we started or at least prioritized in this first year offices who already had digital teams or who had technical team members who would be able to support our fellows. So we just did some and it's it's pretty easy to or I guess being in the civic tech space for a while, you start to learn kind of which offices are doing what and, and who's a thought leader in the space. So we kind of started there as well as just what offices have we heard of uh, in our network and then reaching out to those offices. And I mean, some offices didn't have the capacity uh given what they were dealing with with COVID. So it was also just finding partners who even had a capacity to bring an intern on for the summer. But yeah, starting with teams who had strong strong technical capacity to be able, or at least the willingness to support technical fellows for the summer. Uh, and that's kind of where we started. And I'm, I guess I can give you a bit of a peek behind the curtain because we're now heading into the second year for this, but we're hoping to expand uh, into some new places as as we head into the new year of this program and just place people in, in more states and more cities across the country and kind of diversify uh, the offices that we're placing people at now that we have a good sense of what we need to provide someone with a good experience. Like how can we place someone on a team that might have a little bit less of a technical capacity but definitely has a need for a technical individual on their team. So we're exploring a bit of that as we head in, as we head into this this next iteration of the program. Something you said at the the beginning of your, of your answer, you kind of mentioned the idea that like having that federal program in existence first being helpful. It reminded right. me of this thing I've heard the CEO at my day job talk about, and I know he'll, he'll probably like stumble on this and listen and, and say <laughs> like, "Oh, you, you explained the thing wrong, Ryan." But I'm, yeah. I'm gonna give it a try. <laughs> He, he, he talks a bit about this idea that like w- after you get started, you start to build these kind of like foundational stories that can mm-hmm. then be used to go up the, to the next step. So like he's used it, for example, to say like, oh, it was easier for me to get this partnership because y'all did great work on this other client that was in this like in government in the similar space. So like it yeah. gave them confidence. Can you talk a bit about like how you might have leveraged that that federal program and the story it tells it in this way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you'll find this all across the civic tech space is like storytelling is such a big part of everyone's work. And yeah, that storytelling, having that track record of the really incredible and we owe it all to our fellows like we bring them in, but like they're the ones doing their work and they're the ones that have proved to our federal program, federal partners that they can do really odd because people are sometimes like oh 10 weeks like that's not a long time like what can you do in 10 weeks and our fellows have just completely blown people's minds and like what they can really accomplish in 10 weeks so I think that was incredibly helpful we're like hey we have done five iterations of this federal program like here's what agencies at the federal level have to say about the work that these interns are doing uh we want to replicate that at the state and local level. Like, are you interested and are you game for kind of working with us through that? So yeah, that storytelling was a a huge piece to be able to show what people had been able to accomplish at the federal level and say like, we're, we're trying to replicate this at the state and local level. Um, Yeah. That's a a huge, that was a huge part. And again, we, I just have to thank our, our alumni for, for really being awesome and incredibly talented people for showing people that this is like necessary and also like helpful that it's beneficial not only for our fellows, but it's also beneficial for the offices that, that we're working with. You also mentioned that you sought to target organizations that already had some amount of technical capacity, at least to be Mm -hmm. able to provide infrastructure for folks that might come in. 
Uh, can you talk a bit about like what does that mean? I guess in, in practice, like what sorts of things would they would you kind of seek for them to have in place for that to be something that works? I would say with the state and like local program, this it's kind of working with the host office to find a good match or just making sure that they have support from us if they need it or kind of on a case by case basis, right? Like if they're willing to work with us, like we're willing to work with them because we recognize uh, how beneficial it will be for a fellow to experience working on that team. But I would say we were, so we were, we, sorry, we, um, we recruit across four areas of practice. So data, software engineering, design and product management. And we have very uh, descriptive like role descriptions of each of those four categories that we showed to our applicants and also that we show to our partners and so that helps us get a really good match like we need our applicants to come in with these kinds of skill sets and then when our partners tell us hey we want one design fellow they know what kinds of skill sets the people we're bringing in are going to have and so in terms of screening partners I would say like any I don't think I think every partner who was interested in working with us this summer was involved and so it's really a matter of like okay you have a data scientist on the team like you'll be able to support a a data fellow uh or you want to bring in a pm and and your team doesn't have a pm but you have a software engineer who's like familiar with what it takes to build a product or what it takes to roadmap uh, something. And so just kind of screening for that. But I think it's really just like a team that has, even if they don't have like a data person for the data fellow they're trying to hire, like a team who has the willingness to support young talent, I think is first and foremost. Like, yes, we're screening for someone who can support a technical fellow, but also, we really just want to make sure that this team is uh, is excited to bring in new talent. And I think that was true for every single office that we've ever partnered with uh, in this first year is like these were people who really like want to invest in that pipeline and want to invest in early career talent. And that was really, really awesome to see just people having a willingness and an excited Uh, excited energy to really just bring in the next generation of talent and kind of pass on their skills and their knowledge in the state and local space to those people so I think that's that's where we started is like teams who were really excited about the work and bringing in bringing in young people continuing on that kind of recruitment of talent thread uh, when we talked before the interview you know kind of preparing figure out what we were going to even talk about for this interview you had mentioned to me that there was a lot of interest in the program uh, so much so that you ended up having to have an acceptance rate of around like 2 to 3% by the time you kind of narrowed the group down to who the fellows would ultimately be. Can you talk about the process you went through to try to get such a large group down to the those who were actually selected? Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, we had for this Civic Innovation Corps program well over 1,500 applicants, which was wild and I think just proves to everyone involved that there is no shortage of young people interested in this work and so it's actually like it's sad for our team to have such a low acceptance rate because we recognize that there are so many really awesome and qualified people who want to do this work uh, which is why we're trying to expand the offices that we work with and just expand the offerings but to your question of how we get to 55 from the 1500 uh, it's a so it starts with an online application, uh, 
believe it's like four short answer questions and a couple of other little questions in between. Uh, folks apply and then our team goes and, and there's no algorithm reading through our applications like real people read your application it's about three readers i think uh per every application that gets submitted and then uh the applications are scored and, and move into a pile so a top group of candidates from that initial screening will move on to a behavioral interview with our team that's not a technical interview it's more just like do you have the skill sets that are required of the fellows we're recruiting, like, are you someone who's going to be flexible and willing to cut through the red tape of government, kind of screening for those things, recognizing that working in government can be a challenge and you have to be someone who's willing to work through those challenges and kind of continue to uh, pick away at the problem. And then after that behavioral interview, uh, another certain subset of individuals will move on to our referral uh, process in which uh, we send three to four candidates per role that a host office is, is hiring for. And then the host office kind of makes the final decision on, on who they're selecting and who they want to extend an offer to. And then we extend an offer and we land on the, the 55 fellows that we had this this first summer. But the hope is to continue to expand our offerings into the future. And I think that's something that our team is uh, going to be working on for the next number of years, I think, into our future is like, all right, we've got well over a thousand people every, year after year. who, And that was just for the Civic Innovation Corps. We had well over a thousand applicants for the federal program as well last summer. So uh, year over year, young people are proving to us that like they want to be doing this work. And also like there are so many qualified people that we aren't able to place. So there's also just like an incredible number of really qualified individuals who want to work in public service and to serve and we can't give them an opportunity so i think coding it forward's long-term goal is like we don't want to have to turn away anyone who has stepped up uh to the call of public service so uh we're working on it <laughs> our tiny team is is hoping to tackle that problem and continue to chip away at that problem so i i imagine starting a new program like this especially one where you're trying to give as many people the opportunity as possible comes into the situation where there's going to be some sort of cost constraint. You know, have to be able to keep the lights on, pay people, that sort of thing. How have y'all gone about finding funders for, for this initiative? Yeah, that's a, a fantastic question. Uh, so we were really fortunate, right? We wanted to launch this program in the midst of COVID when state and local governments did not have the funds to be bringing on fellows for 10 weeks and but we realized that this was a really critical time and I think the partners who were interested in being involved also expressed to us that like there is no better time than now to bring in young people and and have them be a part of this work be a part of uh, responding to COVID and also the recovery that would come uh, in the months that followed so we accepted and acknowledged the fact that state and local government were, were not going to be able to pay for these fellows. For context, the way that our federal model works is that the federal government um, does contribute for the cost of the fellow and our team's time and our contractor's time and whatnot. And so that 
that model was not going to work at the state and local level. So we were really, really fortunate uh, to be able to share the word about this idea and what we wanted to do with a number of funders and then had a lot of really incredible, incredible funders who uh, were excited about what we were trying to do and recognized how important it was to be doing it at the moment that we were. And so we were able to bring in a number of people and, and get them involved, including the Knight Foundation, Smith Futures, um, the Ford Foundation, a lot of really awesome, um, awesome individuals who many of whom had been funders of Coding It Forward previously to this program and, and believed in the work that we were doing and believed that this new initiative was something worth investing in. Uh, and so, yeah, the first uh, first iteration of the Civic Innovation Corps was entirely philanthropically funded. So we cannot say thank you enough to the funders who were involved uh, in this this first year and the hope moving forward. It will still be philanthropically funded for some amount moving forward, but the goal is to be able to work towards more of a a cost-sharing model and and have um, state and local offices kind of have a stake in, a game, in the game. And, and we just want to make sure that and really the priority is to make sure that this program is sustainable into the future. So we recognize that uh, philanthropic funding will not be the way that we can make this a sustainable uh, program moving many, many years into the future. So we're working with our partners um, to find a way to make this a sustainable program into the future. And again, like I can't express this enough, like our partners have been incredible, incredible thought partners and how we can really institutionalize this program in the offices that we're working. And so we're currently working with uh, host offices to to find a way to make this program more sustainable. But yeah, cannot thank philanthropy enough and the funders that funded us to allow us to prove out this model at the state and local level. I think that was like the big thing. Uh, the investment allowed us to prove that this model was also going to be successful at the state and local level and prove that uh, the work isn't necessary and that, that young people can really do amazing things at the state and local level as well. So something I should ask in case the, the funders are listening to this episode <laughs> yeah. is, uh, you know, you've had a, a, a cohort go through at this mm -hmm. point through the program. And I'd be curious to know, are there any anecdotes, examples of things that happened kind of with that group that you're able to share with us? Yeah. Ooh. So much. I think we did really uh, robust debriefs with our partners and also with the fellows who were involved in this first year to hear about their experience. And I think all of that proved to us that it was beneficial on both sides. I think students were – it was just, I think – really cool to be able to see so many of our fellows be involved in the COVID recovery efforts that were happening at the state and local level. Like that was just really awesome work for people to be involved in. And especially since it was many of their first times working in government, like what a really incredible, um, what a really incredible like problem and area to be working on. So I think the work was very fulfilling on the fellows side and I'll share a little bit about kind of the things that they worked on. And then on the host office side, like, again, like they were just so excited to be bringing young people into the fold and have a way to, I think it can be difficult. And I think this is across all levels of government to hire. Hiring is a huge um, problem area. And especially for young hires, like it's hard to bring someone in that's going to be a little 
that's going to need a little bit more training or a little bit more development, right? Like, especially when state and local teams are so small. Like, if you can hire someone, it's probably not going to be the junior level person who doesn't have that many skills because you just can't afford to. Like, you need to bring someone in who's further along who can really just, like, tackle things and be in the weeds. And so I think a lot of our partners were really excited about, like, this 10-week way to introduce people to the work, bring them into the fold, and hopefully convince them that this is something worthwhile and investing in in their future. And I will say one really exciting thing is that we had three Civic Innovation Corps fellows actually stay on full-time after their internship program. So one of our fellows, Bryson, worked uh, in Utah. He's from Utah. So he's staying with uh, the Utah Governor's Office of Planning and Budget and uh, will be working at that office, which is really awesome. We had someone stay on in Miami. uh, And then we had another fellow, Joey, stay on in the city of Boston with their citywide analytics team as I believe a data scientist or data analyst. Uh, And like I'm pretty sure, I'm almost 100% positive that it was Joey's first time in government. And so it was like really awesome to see like he went through our program and then like first full-time job was with the city and like that that was just like I mean three out of 55 does not sound like a lot in a number but like if you have the context of like what it's like to hire full-time hires in government and also like junior level talent like so exciting for our team to be able to see that uh play out so I would say that was one really exciting thing and then just the projects and the things that people were working on, I think were really awesome to see them get plugged into the work that was happening at the state and local level. We had a team of two working with the Los Angeles mayor's data team. They were analyzing the city's procurement opportunities for inequality in its awards. So like how the, how the city awards um, procurement uh, and how equitable that process was and it was the first attempt to do so in over 20 years so they're literally doing something that the city had not been able to do for 20 years and like that number just blew my mind like we brought two people in who were able to work in this office and do this analysis for the first time in 20 years was really awesome to see um there was a team of four in utah building out a new performance measurement portal um Again, like not the most glamorous thing in the world, but like this was something that like Utah government needs to measure their performance metrics. Uh, and so that team was able to build out that that structure from the ground up, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, a lot of really awesome, awesome projects. I think someone else uh, was working on kind of packaging and cleaning data and building maps, which like culminated in this vaccine outreach helper. So it was displaying all the vaccine case mortality and testing data for the city um and so all of those like her stuff was publicly accessible on the web i think that might have also been in los angeles so like and i'm i live in los angeles so to be able to like go on the website and go on the portal and realize that one of my fellows had contributed to that was just uh super cool so they were they were doing some pretty high level stuff and stuff that was very directly affecting constituents day-to-day lives in in the cities and states that these fellows were working in well there you go if you end up needing to like a, apply for a grant or something here pretty soon you've you've, you've got your pre-recorded <laughs> value statement it's like ready for yeah, you just copy paste it <laughs> well thank you for this thank you for the opportunity <laughs> i've got my own little sound bites now <laughs> <laughs> so i imagine that there's uh, folks out there listening to this thinking like man this sounds pretty cool. Maybe it's something that I want to get involved in. Maybe they're into software, they're in the data, in the product. 
Uh, I probably missed one of the ones you mentioned because <laughs> my memory is terrible. Design. I always forget. <laughs> ah, there it is. Oh, I'm going to be in trouble at work tomorrow with one of the designers <laughs> now. Uh, but I imagine those folks out there are saying like, oh, I, I would be interested in participating in a program like this. Uh, for those folks, how should they, you know, uh, seek out that interest and try to get involved? Perfect timing that we are recording this. Um, our applications for both the Civic Innovation Corps program, which we are speaking about today, and our Civic Digital Fellowship program, which I was have been referring to, both of those applications will be opening on January 3rd of 2022. So now, like, not even... I guess a month because today is, yeah, um, it's a month away. So those applications will be opening and they'll be open uh, for approximately three to four weeks. So they'll be closing by the end of January. Uh, but if you're listening to this podcast, you're going to be a step ahead because you'll know when that is happening. And I'm, I will quickly, shortly just kind of give uh, an overview of like who can apply because I think I always forget to mention that. I get so caught up in the word, but it's for young people. And so uh, folks who have never worked in government, there's no education requirement in terms of like you study computer science or you study data. We've had art history majors and English majors be involved in our program. So as long as you have the skill sets that we're looking for, please, please apply. And again, the federal program, undergrad and grad students, our state and local program, undergrad, grad students, and then boot camp and certificate grads as well. So uh, we're really looking forward to that application launching. I cannot even believe that we're heading into applications for our 2022 programs. So uh, yeah, please apply. We're really, really excited for our second cohort of Civic Innovation Corps fellows. And we'd love to, to see your application and, and see you be a fellow. Hopefully we're increasing our, our acceptance rate uh, with a few more placements. We're working on it, I promise. And I would say that aside from our programs, Coding It Forward also has a newsletter and a Facebook group. And so we have a community outside of our programs and we share a jobs and internships newsletter every two weeks. So lots of opportunities and internships and jobs that we share out that are not just our own programs because we recognize that there are so many of you who want to get involved and there's still some gaps in the opportunities that are available. So as much as we can help you find the right opportunity for you, we are totally game. Well, there you go, folks. This this episode was was your inside track. You've got the, <laughs> you've got the knowledge for this program coming up. Uh, speaking of which, I, I'll end up putting a link for this in the episode description, but for folks maybe yeah. they're like out and about hearing it audio style. Yes. Uh, is there a website they can go to to learn more and... Maybe sign yes. up for that newsletter. Everything, all things Coding It Forward at CodingItForward.com, www.CodingItForward.com. And then another great place to just see what we're up to is social media. So we're uh, all handles at Coding It Forward, uh, especially Twitter. If you're on Twitter, join us on Twitter. I will say that uh, when people ask, like, how do I learn more about civic tech? Like Twitter is kind of the weird suggestion. Like people in civic tech love to tweet. So if you're new to the space, my number one suggestion is Twitter. Uh, follow us and then follow the people we're following and you'll probably have a good good tap on what's happening in civic tech. But yes, codingitforward.com. Uh, there's a link to subscribe to our newsletter at the bottom of the website. And so if you want to be the first to know exactly when the application goes live, uh, be sure to sign up for that newsletter and, and you'll get the email and, and the links to apply. But everything will be on that website in the in the weeks to come. Ariana, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come here on the program, 
uh, and tell us about this uh, program that's been going on. And I just totally used the word program twice in a row, which is <laughs> totally great. But seriously, thank you for so much for coming on and talking with us about the Civic Innovation Core. Yes, thank you for having me. And, and thanks for having Coding It Forward twice now uh, for a new program. Maybe we'll launch a, another program and then uh, we can share details. We don't have another program in the works. Please don't <laughs> say anti-disappreciated. We're trying to get through the next iteration of our programs. But no, thank you so much for having us. This has been really wonderful and um, always happy to, to share the word about what we're up to. Yeah, if you end up coming on again, I'll have to like give you a free t-shirt or something. <laughs> Maybe. Guest card. <laughs> 100%. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat, visit us on the web at civictech.chat, or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.